Expats on Air. This is a show where expats talk. I'm your host, Nathan. And we're introducing Elliot Zagman. How you doing, man? Good. How you doing, man? Did I say your name right, by the way? Yeah, you said it perfectly right. Yeah, a lot of people say Zagman, but you said Zagman, which is, I mean, Zagman may, may be like how Dutch people say it, because that's where kind of my ancestral homeland is, but in in America, we say Zagman, so it's good. Zagman. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm from Michigan, so it's Zagman. You know, Zagman. Yeah. All right, perfect. <laughs> you got to make it nasally. Where in Michigan are you from? I'm from uh, from West Michigan, uh, just outside of Grand Rapids, or spent my life in in and around Grand Rapids, or my childhood, I guess. Um, yeah, uh, so that's like that's the second largest city in Michigan. It's towards the the, the west side of the state, uh, known for things like uh, Amway, <laughs> Amway, and uh, um, what else? Uh, President Gerald R. Ford is from there. But yeah, it's a pretty uh, it's it's a nice town. It's a good place to be from, but maybe not a, a great place to live, especially with the snow. That's for sure. Okay, so your Michigan heritage aside, can you introduce yourself, what you do? You have a podcast. Maybe you could talk about that. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I'm originally from Michigan, uh, but I've spent most of my life living abroad. Uh, most of my my adult life, actually, I've spent living in China, in Beijing. Uh, I've worked mostly focused on China's tech sector in a number of different ways, uh, in HR, in PR, research communications, uh, in journalism to some degree. Uh, and right now what I do in, in addition to a number of other things, uh, is I host a podcast called the China tech investor podcast, which is powered by uh, a platform called TechNode. And what we do is we kind of scrutinize, uh, overseas listed Chinese tech firms, uh, both the good ones and the, the not so good ones and try to kind of separate the two from each other. But for the last three years, uh, I have not been living in China, and before COVID, I would come back to China quite often, but I've been based in Bangkok, Thailand, um, which I have to say, in the middle of December right now, when it is a nice, uh, you know, about 25 degrees Celsius or 80, degree, 80 degrees Fahrenheit outside, um, I'd say it's, it's, it's a pleasant alternative to Beijing, that's for sure, or Grand Rapids. Do you think in Celsius? Um, like, it initially i think in celsius or i think in fahrenheit right so like if I, I was thinking it's 80 degrees outside but uh i'm i i have an inhibition to um and I, i'm drinking a beer right now i have not lowered my inhibitions enough but, but i have an inhibition inhibition to say okay don't say fahrenheit uh say celsius instead so that's kind of what's going on uh in my in my psyche with that or in my head you don't like to just force Fahrenheit on people? No, no. I mean, like, also because most of the world doesn't go by Fahrenheit. So I don't, uh, it's not like English, right? You can expect people to speak English, I think, because that's kind of a, a globally accepted norm uh, in international in, in an international environment. 
But, you know, Canadians go by Celsius, Europeans go by Celsius, uh, Australians, New Zealanders, they go by Celsius. So uh, I kind of feel like, you know, that's kind of something that, you know, it's just for Americans. So, uh, you know, I, I probably should should uh, comply with the, uh, the global standard on that one. Okay. You don't like to just say, it's 80 degrees, bitch. <laughs> Learn <Yeah>. Fahrenheit. <laughs> I was just thinking about this this morning because it's I'm in Texas and it's cold here. It's really cold right now. It's it was 38 degrees Fahrenheit when I was leaving the house. Oh jeez. Yeah, so I'm sitting in my so that, car. That I got means my the middle of the day. Is, Sorry, go ahead. The middle ahead. of the day is nice jacket weather though. The middle of the day is nice jacket weather though. Yeah, that's nice. That's is true. That, that is yeah. true. But yeah, the nights get like, cold. The mornings are cold. Here. And. Um, Forgot what I was gonna say, but but anyway, we were talking about Fahrenheit, but Fahrenheit. we should be going back to the China Tech Investor podcast. So I listened to a little bit last night. Yep. I listened to you guys uh, trash sooning. You're talking about how uh, <laughs> shit their stock was right now. Well, James, James was looking into sooning. My co-host, he's right, more right. Uh, uh, he, he's more professional than I am. I'm, I don't have the same kind of financial background he he does, um, but I'm very interested in these companies. So. Uh, that's kind of the dynamic. So, what's your specialty on the show? If he's the the finance guy, what are you? So, I'm a little bit more of the generalist for one thing. Like, uh, so there's a few things. One is that uh, I've I've worked for a long time in the before for and around these Chinese tech companies, either as uh, you know a consultant for them or as a journalist or whatnot. Um, so, I, I know a lot of the folks in and around them. So I, I know a little bit more of the, the kind of personal side of things. I obviously I lived in China for a, a long time. Uh, and also, um, I myself am a, a retail investor. I like to, to buy stocks and to you know, invest my money into stocks. And, um, uh, but, and I have a, a business background, but not so much in the, in the, the finance uh, side of things. So I also kind of play the role of, of the listener, right? Where uh, maybe they uh, they might not have all the all the details, but maybe they read a few articles and they want to know more. So uh, when we have a guest, who I, I usually also book the guest as well, um, then I can kind of play the role of the 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 curious person who knows some or knows something but doesn't know uh, everything and wants to know more from the expert. Okay, cool. And what got you started doing? PR and that kind of stuff for some of these Chinese tech companies? Well, a lot of it was just kind of, one thing that I, that I really liked about China um, is I, so the first time that I ever came to China was right after I graduated from college in, in my undergrad in, in 2008. And I came in and I taught English for a year and then went back, got a master's degree and then ended up looking for opportunities and was like, well, there, there are some in China. So I went back and I started, um, doing I, I ended up in a on a sales team for a large british company that had a you know a lot of subs, like an educational subsidiaries in in china and they had um we, we did their their business to business sales it was one of the few china few, few foreigners on their team there were just two of us and about a dozen or or more uh chinese folks um and you know, just kind of I got used to kind of the, the, the hustle life there, kind of being on a sales team and, you know, with a with a bunch of folks who are just kind of like looking for opportunities. Um, and that's kind of how stuff turned out. So where, 
you know, you, you, you go somewhere for work, but then you also learn, okay, well, there's all these other opportunities too. So um, by the time that I was there for a few years, you know, you have a few side gigs going or you have a few, um, you know, things that you're interested in, you know, you're meeting people for lunch and you're getting kind of, you're kind of getting the lay of the land. And then um, you know, after a few years, I, my colleague and I, we kind of started our own firm and um, we just kind of took it from there. So essentially the way that I got into just about everything in China was just saying yes and giving effort. Um, so someone would usually a Chinese uh, friend or colleague or, or, or whatnot uh, would come up to me and say, hey, do you know how to do this? And I'd say, well, I, I can either do it or find somebody who knows how to do it. <laughs> and I uh, just kind of um, gave effort and gave curiosity. And uh, that's kind of you know how I ended up uh, you know where I ended up, and that was you know for my especially for my time in China, you know it worked out quite well, so I'm quite happy with it. So, do you put things in your Twitter bio like certified hustler, things like that, just to let people know no. where you came from? No, I fucking hate that shit. Like that, that's the thing is that I, I hate the like the whole idea of like the whole like you know Gary V hustle thing. Like I yeah. can't, and I I also don't really hustle as much anymore. Like I still will take. I, it's still the same kind of ethos. It's just that, um, you know, that you know, like things, circumstances have changed a little bit, mostly for the better. But you know, I can go, I can t- take things a little bit slower now. Uh, so, which is nice, <laughs> um, both because of. Um, I mean, the reason why I'm in Thailand is actually because you know, my wife, who um, you know, we lived together in, in in China for a long time, but she ended up uh, getting a, a promotion with her work down here. Um, so, uh, it, after kind of spending so much of my twenties grinding out in, in Beijing, working 80 hours a week, now I can kind of be a little bit more of a normal person and, uh, <laughs> and kind of relax a little bit and go into things that kind of, uh, maybe are, are interesting to me, uh, but might not, you know, occupy all of my time and resources and things like that. Is that a common difference for somebody working in China as an expat versus Thailand? This is my experience, but like everyone's experience is different, right? So I came to China when I was young and in my twenties and like I was hungry and I wanted to like, like I wanted to make some money and I wanted to like get somewhere in my career and I wanted to, you know, to do things. Um, So spending seven years, I guess at that point, yeah, from the time that I, like I had a couple of stints there, but yeah, um, yeah, I think that Beijing, especially Shanghai, I think too, that there is just a, uh, at least when when I was there, very much this this uh, attitude and environment. Okay, what's the next thing? Like, just you know, work and grind and chase where the money is going, um, and look for opportunities. And there's very much a culture that just really fosters that there. And that's what I really enjoyed. Um, but at the same time, it's not something that is entirely sustainable to just live your life that way. It's kind of like how New York is, I think, for a lot of people, um, where you know it can be really exciting and it can be really, really fun. But the longer you're doing it, it's just like at, at some point, you know, the, the reward uh, is not there as much anymore, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, no, I think that that was the like that was a, what I loved about China. I think, and I still love it about China. And I that's why I used to go back there all the time because you know I could still kind of experience a lot of that. But 
Um, Bangkok is a lot slower. There's still, I mean, it's still a big city, so there's still a good amount of that. Um, but it's not the same kind of, you know, I, the, I definitely don't have the same sort of like, you know, pursue like the next dollar at all, at all costs uh, approach that I used to, um, which is a, a very good thing. And I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that I'm at that point. Cool. So are you able to talk about what your wife does or do you want to keep that private? Uh, I probably shouldn't talk to my, I mean, she works for a, um, I guess I could say like a large, a large international organization, let's say. Um, okay. But that's about it. But yeah, but she's, uh, like, I think the, the way that things often work, like, is that, I think for both of us actually, like going to China was a big uh, stepping stone. Um, and I think part of that is, like understandably being kind of, you know, like you're like a, a white American and you kind of understand maybe some of the the kind of standards or expectations for some of these international companies that are there or international organizations. Um, and maybe some of you, you can kind of fit into some of the culture there. Um, but I think for both of us, uh, you know, getting there, you know, we, we were fairly, I think, in college, pretty average people. Um, and then but going to China, like just the ability to be able to work and to be able to, to like give effort and to get opportunity was something that I think really benefited both of us and has continued to benefit both of us um, because it, it offered, you know, I think certain kind of ladders that, you know, I, I don't think I would have been able to go up you know, in, in the United States or in for her as well. Um, you know, just some career opportunities that, um, you know, just, you know, we're there because of the dynamism and also because of, I think in some ways because of our own, you know, comparative privilege there. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I think that that was, uh, it was a big move for both of us. And I think it's, it's a, a huge factor in, you know, our own success and, you know, allowing us to kind of, achieve what we wanted to achieve and you know have a good life so far yeah i would say being an expat in china if you are meeting the right people and working really hard like in two three years you can really accelerate your career a lot yeah 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 and just like just finding like to me a lot of it was just saying yes to everything um like just it didn't matter what it was just being you know unless it was really the really shitty like gig or something or something that really like crossed the line, just being like, oh yeah, sure. Like I'll always take a meeting, you know, like I'll always, you know, if there's, there's a spot in my schedule, I'll fill it up, you know? Um, and I think that's something we both did. And uh, yeah, that was, you know, I got, like I said earlier, you can't do it your whole life. Um, it was gonna burn you out. But I think for, for my twenties, I think China was, was just such a great place to be because when you have that energy, when you have that hunger, uh, and I mean, also as well, like Chinese, China just fascinated me. Like I've always wanted, you know, like I've always, I still study Chinese and try to improve my Chinese, but the, the history of the culture, the, just kind of the, the significance of China on the global stage really has, um, you know, it all, it has, did, has, and continues to, uh, attract me to, to that country. So saying yes all the time, but you said that maybe if they did cross the line, you wouldn't, but what does that mean? Like, 
what are some of the times they cross the line? What did they want you to do? <laughs> like, I think some of it is like, to me, it's like a lot of, I mean, some of it is just like, you really don't pay enough money. But yeah. others I think was like, if you have to, the, to me, it would be if I had to put my, my own name on the line for something that I knew was probably not true. And this is something that is kind of, uh, particularly important in things like communications, you know, PR or sales, um, where you know that maybe you're, there's a, an opportunity with a company um, where they want you to put your own face uh, and your own, you know, they want to say, Elliot Zagman says this about this company. And that's something that I've often struggled with. Mm -hmm. um, just to, to, because if I can't vouch for, you know, the entire like legitimacy of of a brand or a company or or, or what um i would be saying that's something that i i, I struggle with i think um uh, but and hopefully yeah that's uh, because i think that you know, ultimately all you have is especially in communications or journalism or anything like that or if you run a podcast really the only thing you have is your credibility um and if you are you know, willing to kind of give that away then it, it, it's not very good for your long-term prospects in my view. Cool. So we talked before in this sort of interview format, it wasn't a podcast. You shared some things that you probably don't want to say on a podcast recording. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you remember what we talked about, but we, we got into a lot of kind of funny stories about some of the companies we've worked with in China. Is there anything you can share on that, mm. on that front though? some interesting quirky stories where a Chinese companies asked you to do something maybe unusual. Well, I've had a number of different times where, uh, like I've been asked kind of randomly to, uh, you know, go and be the, I mean, the, the rental ally, like the, and some of it's fine. You know, the, you, so for those who don't know what we're talking about, um, basically being, like the white person that shows up to give credibility at a business meeting or at a you know at a product launch or something like that. You know, but uh, you know, so, so folks that live in China might get might be familiar with this. You know, you get a, a message saying, okay, so and so will pay you a certain amount of money to um, you know show up to this meeting or uh, or show up to this event uh, and pretend to work for this company. Um, and I should say I've, I've done a few of those before yeah. <laughs> in my younger years, right? Where you, um, I think there was one where it was actually like, and I, this is something that I actually probably regret. Um, but I was younger, and I was it was kind of at, at this, this point in my life where I was just like, okay, well, I'll say yes, 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 you know. Um, and uh, I, it was a, an architectural firm, and they were making a pitch uh, to another. Um, uh, I think it was a, Chinese, a, a foreign affiliated architectural firm making a pitch to a, a Chinese company. Uh, and they, they needed a, a foreigner in the room. So they asked me and I, and I went and that was something that that's probably maybe a little too, because something that I might not feel comfortable with, uh, you know, kind of in hindsight, but uh, yeah, like just this, <laughs> that's probably the easiest thing to reference. Is just kind of the the rent a rent a laoi or rent a foreigner uh, experiences, but I think a lot of a lot of, especially in the tech industry, when I was there, you know, for especially during periods like 2014, 15, 16, 17, 18, it was this huge boom period, um, and you know, everyone was scrambling for cash, 
and there was just it, it was you know like you see you see some same kind of characteristics and things like a, the dot-com bubble or where whatever where if that if someone's willing to invest you know the idea is okay we'll put a deck together put a a um a you know a product you know sample together whatever um and and you know try to get the next round of investment and you know sooner or later you end up in a situation where you don't really have much you have kind of vaporware uh but there is still a lot of investor demand so you know you have a company that could be valued at however many hundred millions or billions of dollars but there's not really that much behind it um so there's there have been some that i've been kind of uh, i think i've been fairly closely uh i've seen a number of those just to one extent or another where and not to a fair enough degree but uh, you kind of see that that dynamic at play, or at least you did uh, in the, the tech industry in China during those years. Would you say, at least on the U.S. stock market, are Chinese companies given kind of a pass when it comes to auditing or transparency? Yeah. Like, it, it doesn't, there is no, I, I haven't met a single person that actually thinks that it is, legally a good thing for Chinese companies to be listed on US, US exchanges this way. Um, there are a lot of folks who think that it is maybe in their interests because they want to get you know, a, a piece of these companies, or there are folks who think, okay, well, having these financial ties between China and the US is, is helpful. Um, then there are people who, you know, in China, I think more so, want to be able to tap US markets but the the reality of the situation and the incentives that are involved are completely out of whack and i and i think just about any objective observer will will say that yeah so there the way that these companies are structured is that if you're buying for example alibaba stock on a, a u.s stock exchange uh you are not actually buying a share of alibaba you are buying a piece of a of a company of an offshore listed company or an offshore established company um, that ha- has a right to uh, a percentage of Alibaba's profit. Uh, now, Alibaba itself is not under a legal obligation in China to report the accurate their accurate financials, or none of these Chinese companies are. It is not illegal to defraud uh, a foreigner in China, really. Um, mm. And then I think in addition to that, there are all sorts of other um, kind of incentives that are in place where even if a, an entrepreneur you know, is a person of integrity and they want to, to do the right thing, um, you know, every entrepreneur and every, every individual weighs out uh, risk and reward, right? It's just what you do you know, as, a, as, a, as, an, as a person and as a business person. Uh, and the way that the incentives are set up right now is that there is far more reward to uh, falsify your numbers and to be fraudulent uh, than there is risk to being caught uh, from from you know, what I can uh, ascertain. Um, you know, I think that for I don't know how how well listeners will uh, uh, follow, for example, the case of Luck and Coffee. 
which was a, a Chinese kind of coffee chain that uh, ended up admitting fraud and kind of going, I guess not entirely belly up, but um, kind of having a lot of problems earlier this year. Um, you know, the, the big issue there was COVID. That COVID, you know, they had been committing fraud, but because of COVID, they didn't have the kind of cash flow that they would have needed to be able to cover up their fraud, right? <laughs> and so, and then they admitted their fraud, right? And so, and then the Chinese government cracked down on them. The Chinese regulators cracked down on them. The two lessons there that I think a lot of business people will, or entrepreneurs in China will take from it is not don't commit fraud. It is if you commit fraud and you know you have uh, this black swan event like um, you know like COVID, where you can't have the cash flow that you need to cover it up, um, or it, then that's a problem. Or uh, the other side of it is don't admit the fraud because they admitted the fraud and that gave Chinese regulators uh, a, a reason to crack down on them. So the the incentives that are there are not are not ones that would encourage uh, good behavior, I think, from these companies. However, I still own shares of some of these uh, U.S. listed Chinese companies um, because some of them, I think, are good companies. The, what I will say is, I, and I tell a lot of folks this, is that there are companies, just about all of them, I would expect to be fraudulent. I don't know if they are fraudulent. I would expect them to be fraudulent. Uh, I don't expect all of them to be frauds meaning that their business is a fraud. Um, some of them are frauds. Uh, a good business that is in some ways fraudulent uh, is not entirely a bad investment, uh, especially if you're looking for growth and you're well-balanced. So <laughs> that's my take on that. Well, the biggest fraud about luck and coffee is that you need a stupid app to order a coffee in their shop. Like you're in the brick and mortar. And they're like, sorry, do you have the app? I'm afraid you can't order from us if you don't have the app. You're going to have to go go back to well, your Wi-Fi and download that. From. Yeah, I know, but I just I they opened one in my my old office that was in Shanghai in, in Hongkou district. And I go in there and they're like, "Sorry, you're going to need to get the app to order here." I'm like, "I told them to get fucked." I was like, "I'm leaving. I'm not yeah. I don't want to have to go to a shop and use an app to buy your product when I have cash in my pocket. I know I know cash is passé in China." But I still carry it, and I want to. I still want to. Goddamn, I want to use it. How do you or, feel about it? Or all I that? just want to. Like, can't you have a can't you have a mini program and on WeChat and just scan the WeChat too? Like, the downloading of the app is a huge pain in the ass. Yeah, well, that would be I, that I would still like piss me off. Reason. That would still piss me off, but it would be yeah. a good compromise. No, no. Yeah. Um, that, that was their. That was the whole idea that that they have that data, you know, and that yeah, they yeah, can. Yeah. By having all that customer data, they can uh, kind of optimize one their where they are putting their stores, but then two like how they market uh, to you know. So how do you put an advertisement to people within certain locations? Mm -hmm. uh, how do you have you know? How do you expect certain you know foot traffic or certain um, like uh, you know, how do you expect the inventory? There's tons of stuff that you. Um, or anticipate inventory. Uh, there's tons of stuff that that you can do uh, with that that I think investors were were enticed by. Um, also, you can basically turn that into a 7-Eleven, 
if you want to. That's the whole idea. So, okay, well, well, if we have everybody on our app anyway, then, all right, well, let's sell uh, toilet paper there. Let's sell beer there. Let's sell, let's sell whatever. Because that, that was what they had been talking about in that, like, if, if, they, have an app, if they have all these, these users, um, and they can, because they're on the app, then they can uh, essentially monetize the data. They can also offer better value, better savings for their users, and kind of, uh, kind of keep that cash flow moving through the company. And a big cash flow moving through the company also means that uh, you can do any number of ways to securitize that cash flow or borrow off of that cash flow uh, and, uh, or commit fraud that is covered up by that cash flow. And that, uh, that's kind of what, what, what ended up happening. Okay. So you mentioned some nicer companies, companies that actually you like to invest in. What are some of those and why? Uh, well, I don't want to like say that, like just plug them because it's like, I, I can't get behind any of these entirely. It's, okay. You know, it's, 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 it's investing involved risk. Uh, one of the ones that I've really liked is Billy Billy, which is kind of China's, it's called, been called China's YouTube. It's a, yeah. a, I guess it's a streaming platform, but it's also a gaming platform. Uh, it has, it kind of grew by being like a hot, really hot within the niche of um, uh, kind of like uh, people that are into manga and like anime yeah. type stuff. Like really with like the young, the young population in China. Um, and it has expanded really well. Um, and it has been, and I, I bought uh, a good amount of shares probably last year at some point, like late last year, and they've, they've had a, a fantastic 2020. I'm super happy with them. Um, I don't know where they're gonna go from here, but uh, they have been you know, in accordance with my, or they have done much better than my expectations. Um, but I think that they're a great company in that they built a very, very strong, high value, young, um, you know, high quality uh, user core, and then kind of expanded out from there, uh, in a way that you know I think you see most great uh, social platforms and video platforms doing. Uh, so that was something. That's a, a company that I'm, I'm really happy with and really like. Another one that uh, I've been impressed with this year, and, and one that I own shares in, is uh, is Xiaomi. So, I mean, this is less. I mean, part of it is because I think that they're a great company, but it's less because they're just a great company. It's also because of what the U.S. government has been doing with with Shoutware, with with Huawei, right? Where mm-hmm. Huawei has had a very large market share or share of the market of, of smartphones around the world, um, particularly in places like Europe, where um, it, you know comparatively uh, the users have more money to spend consumers have more money to spend uh so they can buy higher value phones uh and also they can be advertised to uh in the they're they're more lucrative advertising market uh what has happened since the u.s put sanctions on on huawei is that uh huawei hasn't been able to produce as many smartphones so they've been had been having to withdraw from some of these markets these international markets so xiaomi sees an opportunity and Xiaomi has gone into Europe uh, and their shipments, their smartphone shipments have surged. Uh, another thing that's great with them is that they are really getting into the, um, 
the kind of Internet of Things, the IoT device market uh, around the world, but particularly in high growth uh, places like, for example, Southeast Asia. I just bought an air purifier because the air in Bangkok is looking more and more like the air in Beijing when I was there. And just looking through looking through the big e-commerce platform here, uh, there was really no reason to buy anything but the Xiaomi because uh, they're decent enough quality and they're uh, going to be a better price than a lot of their competition. So uh, for those, t they also have, I think, a, a very good eye, like a, a very strategic uh, eye on how to kind of merge um, kind of the um, the analytics and the, the data that they are uh, collecting from all these devices. Um, and uh, for those reasons, I like them as a company. Uh, but I, I still am, you know, I, I bought a, a, a Huawei or Xiaomi air purifier, but I bought one reluctantly because, you know, when any company's business model is kind of built around uh, what they're going to do with your data that way, that is that is something that also doesn't make me very comfortable. But anyways, those are a couple of companies that I like. They know you like clean air, Elliot. They're getting closer to the truth. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I had a Xiaomi air purifier yeah. in Shanghai. Yeah, they're pretty decent. And very cheap, yeah. well, you know, for the quality that you get, it's pretty cheap. Well, did you ever have something like a Blue Air? Like I, I had a Blue Air that I paid hundreds and hundreds of dollars for. Um, but what is an air purifier? It's a HEPA filter and a fan. Yeah, and then some of you those know, expensive. It's something that that. Sh so I was saying some of those expensive air filters, they they make you buy those replacements. And they make those super yeah. expensive. They're like 500 RMB per filter. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think that's actually what that has been. That's a, a, a very good microcosm for, kind of, I think, the, the broader dynamic that some of these Chinese companies are capitalized on. And that you can, a lot of them have been able to see, okay, because all this stuff is made in China anyway. They can say, okay, well, this is how, how much it costs for this, how much it costs for that, how much it costs for that, and then it's being sold for this. But we know everything that goes into it because everything that goes into it is right next to us. We, it's right over there down the street. We're in Shenzhen, right? And uh, so uh, I, I think a lot of, I mean, the smartphones is the same way. It's like, why is an iPhone being sold that much when we can, you know, make essentially the same product for a fraction of, of the cost? Um, that And that has been, I think, a phenomenon that has, driven a lot of these Chinese companies is that they're, they're able to produce value for money uh, because they kind of know what goes into it. They can hit scale within the Chinese market uh, so that they have some sort of kind of buffer and, 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 and reason for investment and kind of cash flow. Uh, and then they can go abroad. Uh, they, even, and they, can, they even made a whole brand that just sounds like a baby saying Apple, Oppo. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what's your take on some of these smartphone companies? Huawei was banned from a lot of countries. Xiaomi was not. And then there's other companies like Vivo and Oppo and OnePlus. And there's more, mm -hmm. like Gioni. There's a lot that are only sold abroad. They're not even sold in China. Like Gioni is like... Do you hear what happened with Gioni? Like their founder claim to have like gambled away a bunch of the money of the company. Anyways, that's another thing people can, people can search that up. Uh, that sounds amazing. Uh, but, uh, 
so but the, the no the, the difference between Xiaomi and Huawei or Oppo Vivo and Huawei is that yes Huawei makes smartphones but Huawei also makes network equipment so and, and infrastructure equipment so Huawei also because they had the scale uh, the cash flow the loans the subsidies all of those things they were able to essentially if you're a, a country and you're trying to or uh, you know telecoms um, uh, like a usually often state state at least somewhat state owned or whatnot in within a company within a country and you're trying to build out for example your 5g network what you're gonna do is you're gonna get bids from you know Huawei Ericsson Nokia etc and those are the guys that are gonna build the fiber optic cable they're gonna build those cell phone towers that that's what they're gonna build right so they're 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 the ones that are gonna supply you with the the actual internet um, now in a lot of these cases uh, Huawei ha could outbid the competition and if you're going for the best quality the lowest price you go with Huawei because that's because that's where it makes sense often because of you know things like scale subsidies etc you know this it's a complicated soup um it's not just about chinese government support but it's a lot of a lot about chinese government support um so but what that ends up happening is that you have the entire network of countries that are reliant upon huawei uh and then if you are i mean the the argument for from the united states was that you know that then they can spy on whatever they want. They can spy on sensitive information, and that is true. I mean, the U.S. also spies on sensitive information, but you know, if you are, but that's also where that you know the military alliance aspect you know comes into play, right? So if you're Australia, and you obviously you have your security guaranteed by the U.S. military, um, you don't want to have your a U.S. adversary building your networks. Mm -hmm. That's the the situation. Uh, but when it comes to just your handset, um, your handset, you know, they can you know, potentially collect a good amount of individual information, but it's not the same thing as, you know, core infrastructure that if it went offline could completely shut down a country. Um, and that's what the, the whole Huawei debate was about. Now, what, what ended up happening with Huawei is that you had... I don't know how much your listeners are going to be interested in this, but you had the the in late 28, starting late 2018, you had the U.S. government really pushing its allies um, around the world to essentially uh, ban Huawei from its 5G rollout, uh, and they had had a, some success, but they were they were not having a whole lot of success. In doing that, because of the pushback from the telecoms companies, and also because there was not a whole lot of um, uh, evidence of Huawei being used in that way. I mean, there were some, but not not tons. Um, even though, like, potentially they very well could, um, and that's that's where I think the the greatest the best argument is. So, but then the other side of that is is that the U.S. at the same time started hitting Huawei with uh, sanctions to their supply chain. So a lot of their chips 
would either come from the U.S. or come from U.S. companies, right? A lot of this kind of core tech infrastructure uh, would come from would come from the U.S. So they said, okay, we're just going to cut you off from that. So without that kind of core tech, uh, you know, the, the the chips and things like that, uh, they can't hit that same kind of scale and they can't hit that same kind of quality. So without being able to do that, then they actually can't build out in Europe the way that they want to. Um, so what has happened now is that the U.S. has won essentially, but not because they've, I think partly because they've, they've convinced you know, their allies that this is a security threat. But the other side of it is that, the, that Huawei can't deliver it anyway uh, because the U.S. has cut them off from their side of the supply chain. So they've won the battle, I would say. So China's working on developing its own chip technology. How would you say that's going? Hmm? How would you say the chip know. development in China? You don't know. It's hard to it's hard to say. Like, I mean, you can talk to somebody who really who really follows it more closely than I do. Um, like, it's, I don't think that the the big issue right now, and I think where the real flashpoint is, is that the 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 company that makes that is, is the leader in chip technology, I think, kind of unequivocally, is Taiwan Semiconductor. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, I mean, if you're China, Taiwan is part of China. Oh, of course. Uh, and they, right, and they're itching to, to, to retake Taiwan, right? And that's kind of a, you know, if you want to compare it to, you know, past conflicts, you know, for example, like World War II, right, a lot of, for example, Japan's moves uh, militarily were to access oil. Um, you could say that, you know, potentially, you know, if, if the U.S. and China are to get into a, a greater conflict, and God forbid, um, that one of those those flashpoints is that, you know, China needs the tech um, and they need those chips and Taiwan has the chips. So that's uh, that's a, 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 a major flashpoint, a major, uh, you know, a potential, um, I don't know what the right word is, but something that something that I, I'd be worried about. Well, communists, they do like to seize the means of production. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we, uh, I mean, that's the whole the road to go down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about China. I'm just going to pull up your Twitter here. So I would say you're part of China Twitter. Have you ever made a list like the top 20 China Twitter accounts to follow? Number 16, yeah, I was, Elliot Zagman. Uh, Sub China made one uh, a few years ago when I was on the list. And then a couple other people will make like, you know, like people with sub stacks will make like these are the China Twitter people to follow and things like that. Um, but like, I'm not, I'd say I'm like, I'm junior, I'm junior China Twitter. I'm like, like, I'm not, I don't work for a big like news outlet. I'm not like Bill Bishop, who's like, you know, whispering in Matt Pottinger's ear or anything like that. You know, those are the people who I think have the real influence. You know, I have what, 10,000 followers, something like that. And, you know, just kind of, I don't, uh, I, I had somebody try to criticize me. I will not say the person's name. Um, but they called. They said, "You are. You must be not. You, must, you are. If you believe that, you are not a serious person." But I think I, I felt kind of odd about that because, like, yeah, like, why should I be a serious person? Like, what? what? Yeah, you're I not mean, technically like a journalist, to... right? Huh? You're not technically a journalist, right? Exactly. Exactly. So, like, I mean, what I try to do is, like, I don't. Um, but also, I don't like. Like, I don't want to spread 
incorrect information um, and I want to you know be a person of integrity uh, but I'm not looking to be a um, you know I, I I don't have the same kind of uh, you know I don't I, I'm not looking to be someone like Bill Bishop or you know I I, I don't I'm perfectly happy, you know, half of my tw tweets being jokes and <laughs> and things like that. And, um, you know, and then some some information that, that can be valuable, you know, if I think it's if it's worth sharing, right? But, um, yeah, I, uh, I, I don't, I don't have the aspiration to be, like, like I, I fucking hate, like, like, I've had a couple of times where, like, you get in, like, these Twitter fights. You know, or like, you know, we're, so we're like, oh, yeah, I don't I, I think like I, I'm a spectator of those. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're like, maybe like you criticize somebody or say something that's not like that. Like I would think it was often not that like, or just say like, well, why is like, just ask a question or like, um, or just say like, you know, at times being like, you know, like, well, it, you say this, but then you also say this, maybe trying to target somebody. Like, I, but not in a way that I think is particularly mean. But then you get into this whole spat where, like, you're being accused of things, and like, that's not what I'm trying to meet, trying trying to say. And, and I think that there's also like a lot of people out there who, like, you know, they they don't want to actually have a conversation. They want to like dunk on you, right? So like, yeah. you're trying to like. So well, well, the way that one thing that I know is like, if someone replies to a reply of a like a good faith question, then often there's I think that they probably want to have a real conversation. If someone is retweeting it with something that is a, you know, a, a sassy kind of like, just, I don't know, shit post. Like, I like that. It just doesn't make me feel good. Also, like, like, why would I want to, like, when that has happened, it's like, like a day or two where it's just kind of like in the back of my mind. And I'm just like, oh man, I, I liked that person. Like, what? Well, they were like that. Like, it just, like, I fucking hate that shit. Like, and so yeah. much of China Twitter, I think, is that. And, like, obviously, like, I'm not entirely innocent either, but, um, like, it just, it just feels so unproductive. And it just, like, it's, it, it hurts after a while. And it's, like, so lately, I just kind of, you know, like, I'll be like, okay, well, I'm going to try to, you know, spend more time off it, or like, I'm just going to tweet about platypuses like, <laughs> or something like that, where like, just like, it just can be like, just such a, a, a ruiner of my day, I think. Um, let's, let's take and, a step uh, back. Yeah. Can you explain what is China Twitter? Cause you talked a lot about it, but <laughs> for anybody listening, they might like, what is this guy talking about? Who are these people? Who's Bill Bishop? Well, I, oh yeah. Yeah. So I think it's like anyone who tweets about China pretty much. Like it's in a conversation. So China Twitter includes, I'd say, um, so like Bill Bishop runs a cynicism newsletter, but he's in based in DC, he's a very influential person. He's also an angel investor. Um, like he's done very well for himself. He's, he's, he's incredibly influential. He has hundreds of thousands of followers. Um, and also he has an ear uh, of a lot of the, um, the kind of more influential people in, in Washington, DC. Um, but then, so I'd say like, he's kind of a, one of the, the top dogs, but then, um, you also have, I mean, you just have like the the, the the journalists at a lot of like the China focus outlets, whether it's like Sub China, or you know, uh, like the Tech Node, for example, uh, or like David Barboza, uh, the Wired China. You have a lot of these kind of China focus outlets, and then you also have you know China journalists at places like New York Times, Washington Post, 
uh, whatnot. Um, and then you also have, um, you know, people who've lived in China, um, people who uh, are Chinese. Uh, you have you have Chinese state media voices, who are often not that great. Um, and the other side of that is you often have, you know, you have you know people who are kind of national security hawks in D.C. who don't know that much about what they're talking about either. Uh, then you have the people who are kind of spectators around that. Um, and uh, I guess would, would that be a good way to describe it? It's just kind of the entire kind of community around the, the, the topic of China on Twitter. And I think that what has happened as kind of U.S.-China tensions have, have grown is that there have just been a lot more folks in that space, right? You know, when the Hong Kong protests were kind of really rearing up, uh, there was a kind of flood into there as well. Uh, and then also, I think just people get a lot more emotional and a lot more, um, you know, they're just a lot more tied into it that people have. So um, it's just it's a place where, you know, like sometimes it's really good and interesting stuff, but like it's just, it, it often is uh, going to be a pretty, pretty nasty place. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like how it's all it's, these. These lofty institutions, really serious people, but the the, the underlying theme is that there's schoolgirl drama between yeah, all of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe not all of them. Um, there's there's a lot of reasonable people in there who don't engage in those kind of fights and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, and I think well, I think there's just a lot of re- like I think Twitter. If you spend too much time on it, like you just get drawn into that stuff. And I think also there is a, a cycle of spending a lot of time on Twitter also makes you more angry and depressed yeah. because Twitter is uh, is an engine for anger and grief. And so what you're going to do is you're going to, you know, kind of churn that out. And also, so we've had the pandemic, so people are inside more. People are not, you know, probably aren't feeling that great. Um, maybe they're making as much money as they did before or have financial issues. Um, and then also, I think that a lot of the people that are on it have a foot in both in one world and another. So whether that be they're a, a, an entrepreneur, a business person who maybe they're from the U.S. or Australia or Europe, whatnot, and then they do business in China, or they're originally from China and then they study or work in the U.S. or, or whatnot, um, is that they the deterioration of U.S.-China ties, I think, very directly impacts their livelihood um, and their life. Uh, so I think it hits people really, really uh, hard, and it hits people in a way that is very different for everyone. So it's very hard to anticipate, I think, how people are going to be maybe sensitive about a certain uh, issue or a certain way that something is framed. So, and, and, you know, 280 characters are not a great way to express, like, a sort of, uh, you know, nuanced disagreement or to actually try to listen <laughs> to somebody's uh, experience. So, um, I think it, uh, and then there is all, there are also incentives to really fighting and to, to blowing that shit up because you'll get more followers. And if you want to get a bunch of followers because you want to boost your career, then that helps. Um, so, and then you have things like fucking like the Chinese government with their <laughs> troll farms, right? So, 
and they're going to be boosting stuff too. So, and there's just all sorts of factors involved. How about the actual Chinese diplomats or government characters that are on there who are calling people bitches and stuff like that? Well, that's another thing, and I think that is um, that's a, it's, I mean, so wolf warrior diplomacy, kind of the, the term that it's used, it's based on this uh, kind of this kind of Rambo-like movie that came out in China. It's very kind of patriotic and aggressively patriotic. Uh, but I think that I think that one thing that I don't think it gets enough discussion um, when we talk about China today is I think that the way that you know, Xi Jinping and a lot of the, the people in power right now have seem to have made a determination that the the way in which they can uh, best uh, either like, implement their agenda or stay in power is to make sure that they that the hardliners and the nationalists are on their side and that is the cohort that they cannot upset and that if they expand it it's also good for them uh, so what that leads to is a a feeding of that sentiment I think um, and you get overseas you know the, it, it's it makes you know, in the same way that, for example, when Trump would say these you know, very brash and offensive and often unproductive things, right? It's not going to help if you're insulting Democrats or insulting Angela Merkel or whatnot. It's not going to help you actually make a deal on legislation or make a deal, you know, a trade deal with Europe. Um, but it it will make your fans happy, and I think that we're seeing the same thing in China right now. Where you have a, um, you know, that you have some of these diplomats or some of these state media personalities. It's both. I mean, the diplomats are awful often, uh, who just will say very brash and kind of uh, often offensive or really upsetting things, and which hurts China diplomatically, but it kind of emboldens their nationalists at home, uh, and you know, that's that at least them in power at home but it's it's a a vicious cycle that is not going to to end up uh in a good place i don't think uh, we've talked a lot about china and kind of the nitty-gritty about china twitter and some of the tech companies let's talk about some of the other places you lived so how many countries have you lived in outside of the u.s so lived in i'd say probably so i was in costa rica for six months so i don't know if that counts that but counts. um yeah, so I got, and I got married there. I worked there for a while and got married there. Uh, and then, um, and now I've lived in Thailand for about three years. I'm based here. We'll be back in China. Used to be back in China a lot more, but now because of COVID, just here. Um, so yeah, three three countries outside of the U.S. Really. All right. So that's that means it's time for the big announcement. Elliot Zagman. So you get three Mr. Worldwides. Okay. So everybody on the All show, right. you got to have at least one Mr. <laughs> Worldwide to get on the show. That means you lived in one foreign country. Five means oh, you lived fantastic. in five foreign countries. And then six, you, you still get five. I like that so. drop. That drop is great. Oh, yeah. It's that Jennifer Lopez uh, on yeah, the floor yeah. <laughs> featuring Pitbull, Mr. Worldwide. <laughs> yeah, 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 that was... Watch, uh, uh, what is it? The... Um, uh, uh, the, uh, what was it? The uh, Big Mouth. You ever watched that on Netflix? 
I, I've not watched it. I know I know of it though. Yeah. It's good, but there. So one of the characters they have a pit bull, and he goes, and the name of the pit bull is featuring Ludacris. So he goes, <laughs> it's my pit bull featuring Ludacris. <laughs> that's great. Uh, it's a stupid joke, but I love it every time. Yeah, that song. I I used to live in Nanchang, and I think it came out in like 2010. It was a, that was a big club banger there in Nanchang. <laughs> of course, the clubs in Nanchang they didn't have dance floors. They were all tables and really? stages. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't imagine that the club in Nanchang would be that great. Well, I had a great time, but it was more about the people I was with, the the how the fake yeah, booze made me feel. Um, it was it was pretty. You know, it was wild. It was exciting. It was new, but definitely different. It's weird when you're in a yeah, club we, when they're playing music. They like you should dance, but there's no dance floor, and the tables are all packed. Does that mean we're going to talk since there's all tables? But I can't hear you because the music's too loud. So we're just going to play dice. Always the dice game, man. It's always yeah. the dice game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and that's like, but you have dance. Like, that's what I would notice. Like we would, when I was there in like 2008, right, right, right out of school, that's when we'd actually go to the club. Um, but it was, that was always the thing. It's like, hey, you go to Shanghai, you go to Beijing, like, and people actually dance. Uh, but outside, it's like, yeah, it's just that kind of thing. It's like, yeah, there's music, and yeah, there's like, in a lot of places, there's dance floor, but no one's dancing. They're playing fucking dice. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Okay, what's going on? Anyways. How about but, Thailand, though? What's, wh- how would you say the nightlife is there? I know there's all the, the sex tourism stereotypes, but tell us your perspective of what Thailand's really all about. Well, this is actually very interesting, uh, and I think there is, that it's often a misconception. Right, because I'm here, like I'm here with my wife. Like I don't go out really on weekends much. I'm pretty much a homebody. I early to bed, early to rise. <laughs> like I'm the most boring person you're gonna meet. <laughs> um, so like people be like, "Oh, you live in Thailand, huh?" And I'm like, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah." Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, um, anyway, no, but it's uh, like you can, like, even you can have the kind of yeah, you can have whatever night kind of night you want. Um, but what, one thing that I think is a misconception is how it's like just how like party like sex tourism all that shit um this country is like focused on i think thailand does a pretty good job of like kind of keeping that stuff in where it is and not having it where it's not um so like for example like when i lived in beijing like every neighborhood had a place that was, was pretty clearly like, oh, that's a that's that's a prostitute. Like that was it was it was pretty evident, and it was just kind of all around the city. Was what gave place. it away? The pink lights with the uh, sixteen women right. sitting <laughs> inside. Yeah, that kind of thing, right? I the, so where I live, there, I haven't in Bangkok. I haven't seen. I don't think. I don't. I don't see it anywhere around me. Where I where, if you go down to Sukhumvit, which is like where um kind of a lot of the tourist area is. And then, that, then that's there. Um, so there's, there's, you know, just a bunch of clubs. Like there's, like you know, that kind of massage place, that kind of karaoke place. Um, but like, where in my neighborhood, it is a very. I love my neighborhood. Um, but it's just like, you know, there's none of that at all. Um, and uh, you know, it's quite, it's pleasant. <laughs> um, but also, yeah, and like, and we're. I hardly ever encounter that 
you know, so let's say, you know, we're going to go to the beach on the weekend. Okay, well, we're going to go to the nearby town or down to Phuket or something. And if you want to, like, there's that district. But if you don't want to go to that district, you don't even notice it. Um, and I kind of like that, that it's, um, you know, it's something that you know, it's very, it's Thailand's kind of known for, but if you don't, it's, it's weird for me to think that when people think about that, because I don't think about it because I've lived here and it's like, I don't even see it anywhere. <laughs> um, and I saw it more in China. Um, so that's one thing that I think is kind of interesting is that it's kind of um, like the, the reputation that it has is not kind of how it feels when you're actually living here. Um, but when it comes to the, the nightlife here, um, one thing I do notice is like, I mean, you got in my neighborhood, like I just got, there's tons of good cocktail bars and everything, but that's kind of my, as an old man, that's my, my, my thing. But also, yeah, there are, there are good clubs and bars and there's, you know, we just had a COVID outbreak again, but for the most part, there hasn't been much. Um, and yeah, there's like, if you want to party, you party. Um, but uh, unfortunately, I guess, I don't know if I want to use unfortunately. It's like, I don't really have, like my whole thinking is like, well, why would I go out that late at night? Like, <laughs> I can be bed by 11. Like, that's kind of my, my, my take on it, I guess. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, but it's, 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 it's fun, especially when all the tourists are here. Like, there's a lot of fun that you can do. Like, there was a, a lot of actually the, the, the old Chinese, like, China expat scene kind of is down here. Like, a lot of folks that I knew from China moved down here. And, uh, like, you meet up with them, and then a lot of times they'll know better places than I did. So, I, like, the other night I met with a, or a couple months ago, I guess, I met with a buddy of mine who I knew from China, and he was like, oh, you want to go axe throwing? And I was like, axe throwing? What are you talking about? And you go to a place where, like, they give you these, like, hatchets, and you just fucking chuck an axe against a wall. And there's, like, a target, and you're throwing, like, axes against the wall. Yeah, that's very popular in America right now. It's pretty hot here. Oh, really? Yeah, I think oh, it's. Okay. I think it probably started here. I think as a trend for team building exercises and that kind of stuff. Right. So, yeah, combining alcohol with axe throwing. It sounds like a terrible idea, but it seems to work. No, it's so much. It's so much fun though. Super yeah. fun. Yeah. 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 Well, so, anyways, I guess it's not that. It's not. Maybe I'm. This is my old man talking there, where I think it's a new idea. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, how would you describe Thailand yeah. to somebody who's never been? Somebody from outside Thailand who's never been there before? Yeah, that's um. So, like, like I said before, like I think it has a lot of that reputation, and it's like if you if you're if you're looking for that, then you can find that here. Um, but it's not like I said. Like, if I think for most average Thai people, and for most people that live here, it's it's not a party place. It's not like a sex place. I'm, I'm gonna go grab a beer. Okay. Um, it's just kind of a like it's a it's a fucking great place to live. Like I, I the way that I that I just say is like if I don't have to leave, um, I'm not gonna leave. Like, or so if there's not a family health situation, if there's not a you know, a job change or something like that, why why leave? So it's uh it's affordable. Um, at least in this in this situation both um you know my, my wife and i have incomes that are kind of comparable to you know the the united states or wherever else we'd be and uh things are very affordable 
um, things are the service is very good. People are very nice. Um, like it's a it's a fantastic lifestyle. It's warm all the time. Sometimes it's polluted, but some sometimes it's a little. You know the the beaches can be a little dirty sometimes if you're in you know if you go to the wrong one. But like um, at least as far as I'm concerned, you know like I can't really complain about this place at all. Like I love it here. It's just it's nice. It's sunny. It's like do you, do you want to hear what my schedule is like on one of the days? Yeah. This is what I do. Let's hear it. I get up. I get up in the morning like I mean like sometimes I'll have work around town like I'll do a little like consulting and freelancing around town but usually I'll maybe work in the morning uh, usually while I work I'll have like whatever sports from the US is on in the morning right maybe I have a call or something middle of the day I go to the gym and do like try to do like an hour hour and a half at the gym come back work some more right if it's like four after four, uh, if I don't have any work to do, I will go to the pool and kind of exercise more. If I do have work to do, I'll still go to the pool and just sit on the side of the pool and work on my phone. Um, and then, like, I'll, you know, in, in the evening, maybe we'll have dinner with some friends, maybe I have a little more work to do, um, maybe watch something on the TV with my wife, have dinner. Right. And then, uh, and then go to bed. Like it's, uh, like it's. I can't really complain about any of that. <laughs> it's a pretty, it's a pretty chill life. I mean, part of it is like working remotely, but you know, it's, uh, it's just you know, like you get to go to the pool every day. Like I work out every day. Um, it's. I can't really. You know, the you know, it's easy. It's easier to save money and. You know, it's it's pretty great. Like I can't really can't really complain about anything. And you know, like it's kind of sucks to be away from family, but I've been away from family as an expat for about for a decade or more. So eventually probably gotta go back home, but as long as this is the life, then you know, I'll live this life. You ever buy Bitcoin sitting by the pool? Um Bitcoin, no, I probably should have. <laughs> um, I've gotten paid for some projects I've done in cryptocurrency, um, and like I don't really know what to do with that. Like I mean, it's gone up, but um, but yeah, I'm not a. Are you into Bitcoin? I'm not like a Bitcoin guy, but I did buy some this year, and it was a really good decision because it's gone up a lot since I bought it. It's, it's going like crazy. More yeah. than doubled in value yeah. of what I bought, so it's it's going good. I'll probably buy more when it dips. Yeah, around. I probably should have. I've always thought like, yeah, maybe I should get into it, but like I just haven't. And then all these people Not, get uh, rich just sitting there. It's the same thing with like Tesla, man. Like it's like yeah, it's going crazy, and the more that more kind of cash is in the economy the more people buy it but it's also something that I don't feel comfortable buying too much of mm. you know so like I hold Tesla shares but I don't hold a ton you know I probably should have hold more or held more <laughs> you know I should have bought more um, but you know there are I just I don't feel comfortable with because there's just so much speculative energy in there like I, I 
you know, it just makes me feel awkward. But I guess considering my age, it's always one of those things where considering my age, I probably should just, you know, go more in. But maybe I will. But <laughs> we'll see. So your life is very peaceful, calm, relaxed. There's a lot of expats who yeah. don't live that way. And do you have any stories you could share? Because one of, one of the things I love about being an expat is all the weird people I meet who are also expats. Do you have any stories about weirdos <laughs> you met in China, Thailand, or Costa Rica, or anywhere else? I don't know if I want to say weirdos. Because there are weirdos that are like, man, I don't want to deal with this guy. <laughs> like, you know, where you're like, you know, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like, oh, it's like this guy, this guy has, you know, this guy is like some British dude who's like, who, after the girl walks away, he's like, mm, clever girl. Mm. Like, it's, it's like, you can tell this guy's like, just like, like dripping with creepiness, you know? Like, and he's just like, he's just like, maybe, maybe doesn't clip his fingernails enough. And I'm like, you know what I'm talking about? Or his fingernails are a little yellow guy. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, so there's, there are, and, the weirdest expats I don't want to hang out with. And also, in addition to that, I think of the, the term, the term expat, I think is, I, I'm always a little, I think about that. I'm like, okay, what, what, what separates an expat from a migrant worker? You know, it's like the, the it's usually the, the status of the country you come from, right? Well, um, if you're a legal migrant and you're gonna go back home, you're an expat, yeah. But I have many times been an illegal migrant, <laughs> especially earlier in my life. <laughs> so would I, would I have been an expat at that point? I don't know. Um, so uh, I'll, I'll give you a couple people. And these are, these are people who I would just say are like, I've had the privilege to know. Um, so one of them I think is, uh, so when I went to, the first time I ever came to China, 2008, uh, I came as an English teacher in Beijing, like a week before the Olympics. Uh, and, uh, it's so, and, you know, just didn't know anything. I went, I went with a program, uh, and where they basically pop, pop in a language mill and they don't pay you very much. Um, and they just work you, but they give you enough of a stipend. They give you a little house, a little apartment, and you can have fun. Cause there's all these other teachers there. Anyways, one of those teachers, uh, was a guy who went up staying there for almost a decade. His name was Josh Kartzman. So if anyone knows Josh Kartzman, but Josh Kartzman is like my favorite person. My favorite expat who I've ever met in China. Um, and, uh, but he's just like, like he's just like the, just the nicest guy. Like, and he just like, so he was just like kind of hard drinking, but still like get up every morning, go to work, uh, from boy from I mean, North Carolina, you know, like just, and just like, just, just great at conversation like just like great to like throw back beers with we'd always go to shabu shabu in in uh in in china and beijing like which is like a cheap hot pot place and we just like just eat so much and just throw back a bunch of beers and we, it would always be like he'd always just be so good at like just these random questions like you know okay like you know like, who would you who would win in a fight like a fucking blue whale or a god I don't know. It's just like bullshit like that. Um, you sound like my six-year-old but, son. Uh, <laughs> but just like a nice, like, but just like a super, like, fun, jovial guy. Like, always up for a good time. But also, like, he ended up being a teacher there for a long time. And he was somebody who was just, like, meant to be a teacher. Yeah. Like, in China. Like, and just, 
Like he didn't have a teaching degree. He wasn't the kind of person who like wanted to, I mean, he got like a CELTA, like, a, like an English teaching degree, like a certificate. But he wasn't the kind of person who was like, you know, like just, you know, go like real career oriented. But he ended up working for EF and he would go, like just go in and he would run, the, he ran their life club, which is like, okay, you know, this this week we're gonna bring a bunch of people we're gonna go play laser tag or this week a bunch of the students we're gonna go and we're gonna go uh you know do an escape room or something and he would run that shit and he was so incredibly popular um for good reason he just he was just like gifted at that like he was just gifted at like like getting people to have a good time getting people to talk getting people to learn um and like you can't be around him without just smiling, and um, you know, he ended up leaving. Uh, he's not there anymore. Um, so I, I saw him back in the states a while back. But like, it's just one of those people where you're like, oh, this is like this guy is made to be in China right now, <laughs> and um, like that. Just kind of seeing him and seeing him uh, kind of do what he did there was always such a joy to me, and kind of hanging out with him. He's still one of my best friends, and just like just just such a great guy. Um, so that's one. Uh, Number two, I think it's another, and this is not, once again, not a kind of weird, crazy expat. But like I said, there are, um, you know, career-wise, there are some like opportunities that you know, I've been able to get as being an expat. Um, but there's also people you meet that like, are like, what the fuck is this person doing hanging out with me? So, um, so two of the people that uh, I would put in that category are uh, Marcus and Hannah Ryder. I, I don't know if listeners know this person or these people. Um, they're uh so uh marcus they were in beijing for a long time marcus uh they're a british couple marcus was uh like a bbc bureau chief for a long time uh worked for cgcn and sightseeing in china uh hannah worked for the british government and for the un which is uh one which is how i ended up meeting her um and then also uh she runs a think tank now development reimagined that focus on focuses often on china africa ties um, but these people are just like, they're just so incredibly accomplished. Um, and just, you know, they were, they run marathons and they have a child and they just like get so much done. Uh, Marcus recently got a, a member of the British empire from the queen, like just these, like, and you know, they, they get on, they're just these, they get these recognition from these, you know, like celebrities or these people who are, you know, I, I would just put it in a whole different stratosphere for me, but they're some of my best friends. Um, and uh, I, I lived with them often when I was in China, when I was kind of based down here, but still going back. Uh, they've stayed with us down here for a while. Um, but yeah, like there are these, these, these people that are just like, like how do I get, how did these brilliant, just like accomplished, incredible people end up in my life? Um, and one of the big reasons is like, just that we're in the same expat community. Um, so that's just, I think, what I would consider to be uh, an absolute blessing. Uh, but to something that is, I think, a little weird again, um, one person that I know, I don't want to say too much uh, information, but uh, I did meet a person in China who does, who is uh, an ayahuasca shaman, an oh, wow. expat in China who's an ayahuasca shaman. So are you familiar with that? Yeah. So, um, I don't want to give up too much information. But yeah, for, yeah, like for he any... was like a like he's like a professional facilitator. Yeah, so, for anyone who doesn't know, ayahuasca is a psychedelic drug, 
and it's used, I guess you could say, medicinally in some parts of the Amazon. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's a, um, yeah, so, but it's, I mean, it's, it's like, if you've done mushrooms or acid or whatnot, like, it's something that, you know, you do for fun. You don't do this drug for fun. You don't, it's not a, it's something that is kind of way more intense. It often is negative. It, it can be difficult to throw up. Um, but it, it can be quite therapeutic, I think, um, for people that maybe have to deal with, uh, you know, some psychological trauma or things like that. So it requires, I think, a very sophisticated facilitation. Um, but I met a, uh, an individual, an expat, who you know would run these facilitations um and very professionally very well done won't say if i did it or not <laughs> but uh but yeah i mean it was it's one of those things where you're like whoa that's this is your job huh and um i took it very seriously and i, and I also know a lot of people who have really kind of benefited from that um it's certainly i don't think something for everyone um but i think for for some people i just uh you know i think that he is a uh, He's a very, I think, mindful and very um, and a professional individual who, uh, you know, I think uh, I think he's, he's, he's benefited and impacted a lot of people's lives positively. Yeah, the China expat scene seems very entrepreneurial to me. There's somebody doing everything over there, you know, even ayahuasca ceremonies. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's scary. I, I'd be scared, like, just considering how... <laughs> Like they're not going to understand that in China, you know. Like, they're not going to be like, "Oh, well, this is some sort of, you know, medicinal." But I guess, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll take it easy on him. He's a shaman. Yeah, I, I'd be, I'd be fucking terrified. So, like, especially nowadays in China, like any of that stuff, like. Yeah, especially nowadays. We talked about this a bit in the last episode about a lot of the drug crackdowns. We don't have to get too into it this time. We, we've been recording for about an hour and 18 minutes. Uh, I think we can wrap it up. Do you, Is there anything you want to plug? Do uh, you want to promote your podcast or anything else? Yeah, sure. Uh, China Tech Investor Podcast. So you can just search China Tech Investor uh, wherever you get your podcast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, just uh, if you're interested in investing in Chinese tech companies, go ahead and... Uh, and subscribe uh but yeah you can also follow me on twitter at elliot zagman that's at e-l-l-i-o-t-t-z-a-a-g-m-a-n and uh yeah uh you know feel free to give me a dm or something like that i'll, I'll try to respond if you're nice cool yeah thanks for coming on sure man it was good to talk to you yeah you too all right yeah, especially when thanks. i'm doing all the talking <laughs> <laughs> all right not, not, nothing against you talking, but... Well, you're the guest. <laughs> it's, it's always, yeah, people exactly, are here to listen nice to you. to be the guest is what I'm saying. I'm just here to facilitate. All right, thanks for watching. Take care.